Well, I've not only been involved in the world of talk radio for a long time, I've been a fan of talk radio for even longer. And it's funny, the people that work in talk radio, the people that are listen to talk radio, the people that are advocates of talk radio, it's almost like, even if we've never met one another, we're a little family, a delightful little fraternity. And I, I'm pleased, my guest this morning, and uh, good morrow, everyone, you're listening to The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. My guest is somebody who has been in probably radio, especially talk radio's biggest advocate, biggest defender, biggest champion, and I don't think there's any doubt about it, its greatest expert. It is my great pleasure. And on a personal note, he's somebody that has been incredibly encouraging uh, for my career and incredibly nurturing of my love of this medium and has been uh, an incredible influence since I was 18 years old on uh, my decision to pursue this professionally and has helped me every step of the way. It gives me a great deal of pleasure to welcome the founder and publisher of Talkers, Michael Harrison. Michael, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. It's my pleasure. It's my honor. And Frank, thank you for those kind words. Uh, you have done a tremendous job with your career and the sky's the limit. I think you're, I think you're still on the runway about to take off and look how far you've come already. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Now, for people that haven't heard our previous conversations or for people that may not be familiar with Talkers or your professional journey, I know you were an air talent, including here in New York. And long before you were a rock star or a journalist covering the medium of radio, you were a participant in it. Explain to me how you made the transition from being an air talent to writing about radio. Well, I've always been both. <laughs> the reason I write about radio is I, I, I didn't want to have my career um, be totally uh, dominated by the other trade magazines. So I decided to write my own columns and write my own opinions and start my own trade magazines. So um, I have actually done radio shows in one way or another where I either had a syndicated show, a job at a radio station, um, a combination of both nonstop for 54 years years. During that time, I have um, I was one of the founding um, editors of Radio and Records, which was a major trade. I um, uh, was a editorial columnist and chart consultant for Billboard magazine. I published a, a tip sheet for the rock radio industry called Good Phone Weekly, and I've been publishing talkers for the last 32 years. But during that time, I do radio shows as well. So I never transitioned from mm. Um, from from talent to print, I just did both of them. My bigger transition was going from rock radio to talk radio because mm. uh, I once was as active and as, um, I hate to use the word influential, but let's just say opinionated and sure. with followers uh, in the rock radio realm as I have been for the last several decades in talk. And um, for the last, by the way, if people aren't familiar with talkers, every obviously everybody in the business is familiar with talkers, but some people in the audience at large may not be as familiar with talkers. What is talkers? And it's, and it's a great daily email. I read it every day. I used to really enjoy the big oversized magazines, but I still check talkers.com every day. What is talkers? Talkers is a trade publication. Talkers is to uh, to 
to talk media. We call it talk media now because it's not just radio. It includes podcasting and television and satellite and all that. Talk shows, talk shows in the media. It's a trade publication very uh, for that medium, very much the way variety is for show business and film or uh, billboard is for the music business or women's wear daily is for the garment industry. It, it's a it's a journal that's published for professionals in the industry, not necessarily for fans or customers. However, because there are so many people interested in radio and so many of the listeners of talk radio are participants in it, either as callers or they're into podcasting now, or they just love to know what's going uh, on behind the scenes. We have a tremendous readership around the English speaking world um, that are listeners, but um, our our target audience, our our focus is on professionals in the business. Over the last 32 years, not only has the world of publishing changed a great deal, but the world of radio has changed a great deal. Uh, 32 years ago, there was really no such thing as as podcasting. It was considered a major novelty to even be able to find an email address or a website for your favorite host or your favorite DJ. I'm wondering if you can describe a little bit how the worlds of publishing and radio have changed over the three decades, more than three decades that you've been doing this. I'll tell you, so you you said before, once upon a time, Talkers was a full-color, big, glossy magazine, you know, in Mm. print, and uh, it transitioned to where we don't even have a print uh, component anymore. It it became, frankly, a nuisance. Everybody that's in our industry, uh, they don't care how pretty the the print publication is. They want the information. So now we're 24-7 around-the-clock news organization and, and a views organization and a promotional organization. I mean, those are all the things a trade publication does. We even do an annual convention, which we've been doing for for decades. And um, so we've changed with the advent of the digital era. As far as radio is concerned, radio, television, motion pictures, newspapers, magazines, all of these media that are rooted in the 20th century have had to go through an incredible transformation into the 21st century. Now we're, we're 22 years into the 21st century, so it's it's hardly a novelty anymore. And uh, a lot of the culture and artifacts of the 20th century are sort of fading over the horizon, and we're we're out to ocean. You know, we're out we're out of sight of land, uh, even though most of the people listening to this broadcast are immigrants from the 20th century here in this strange new world. Um, It's a multi-platform. It's the advent of the media station. Radio stations are on multi-platforms, but they're audio-oriented. Television stations now, my gosh, has the TV industry changed? Um, They now stream. They're all these you know, strange networks that you have to follow on your smart oh, sure. uh, TV. We're all getting used to that pattern. Um, and, um, you know, we just had the Oscars and we don't even know what a motion picture is anymore. What the heck is a movie? What's the difference between a movie and a TV show now? Right. Um, because right. of the, the, the fact that the movie theater is no longer the big screen bastion of the experience of seeing something cinematic. So um, the changes are what we would call a sea change. And I'll tell you, Frank, they're just starting. 
Um, can't go home again. Where we've been ain't where we're going. And, um, you know, as smart as I may think I am, or you smart, you think you are doing it every day and being part of it. Most of us don't really have a clue where this is going to wind up. I, you know, I think the fact that you, you talk about how those very formally, firmly delineated differences between motion picture, television, radio, um, new media, mobile, uh, mobile media, how those are all becoming blurred and it's difficult to tell where one ends and one begins. I think that might be one of the contributing factors to why the Academy Award ceremony itself has diminished in attendance and popularity or ratings each and every year. Now, the reason everyone's talking about it this year is because of this Will Smith incident with with Chris Rock. And to me, it underscores why live anything, television, radio, theater, is so exciting because unpredictable things like this can happen. What was your take on the incident with Will Smith and Chris Rock? I think it was a thank goodness for the Oscars that it happened <laughs> because nobody's talking about the movies. <laughs> I mean, most people couldn't even tell you what, what movie won or, or what actor or director won, although Will Smith, you know, people are talking about him. So it was a, you know, celebrity gossip. That's what it comes under to me. Celebrity gossip is always interesting. I mean, no matter what the medium, if there's a good celebrity gossip story, it will always work itself to the front of the pack. There could be a war going on. There could be, you know, pandemics and crime in the streets and all kinds of, you know, problems, economic problems, inflation. But, you know, somebody slaps another guy, two stars, and um, uh, it's over a wife and uh, insulting someone. Oh, my gosh, that's great copy. It's always been that way. So um, back to answer your question, um, the uh, the Will Smith, uh, Chris Rock uh, brouhaha could have happened at any time in history, uh, fortunately for the the Academy Awards and the Oscars and that whole trip, uh, it happened this year because it gave it gave us all something to talk about. Now, in the world of talk radio, I feel like this sort of thing happens much more regularly than what folks that follow uh, the A-listers of Hollywood might be used to seeing. Uh, the, the two incidents that come to mind most immediately is on the Howard Stern show, A.J. Benza punching uh, Stuttering John. But also, I remember in California, uh, there was a gubernatorial candidate that spit up on Brian Whitman. But even going back a number of years, I could certainly picture George and Morton Downey Jr. mixing it up, maybe in a physical altercation. Can you think of any other talk radio incidents that fall into this realm of the, the slap heard around the world? Well, I, I was once uh, in a feud with Wally George. <laughs> I, well, tell me I was, about that. I didn't I, know I was, that, actually. I was, car- I was the program director and uh, did a, uh, a talk show on the top rock station in Los Angeles, KMET, uh, for 11 years. And during that time, uh, Wally George was running his TV show on a small station in Orange County, which was ultra conservative with the American flag and, you know, uh, you know God bless America and anybody who um, – played rock and roll, was a devil-worshipping hippie and uh, destroying society. And so uh, he invited me to be on his show, and I was very snarky and (laughs) stood up to him and and laughed at the audience. And uh, he had the police guards carry me off the stage, which is what they did for people that he couldn't handle. But, you know, there was a nod and a wink between us. And so I I invited him to my KMET talk show. And because it's the theater of the mind, um, and and we 
were wildly, um, uh, we were just crazy back then. You know, you talk about Howard Stern and all that. It was in, in those days, to be anti-establishment and to thumb your nose at the man, as long as you didn't say dirty words that were too, you know, too racy and get you fined. And um, I created a whole scenario after Wally George had left the show. I mean, <laughs> talk about a bad boy. I, I'm embarrassed by this, but I, it, it kind of answers your question. It was a talk show. He left the show after the first hour. I had a two-hour show. And then I created a scenario that he was still there and that he was <laughs> beating me up and threw me through the plate glass window. Of, uh, uh, and, and the glass is crashing. He's listening to this driving home horrified that I, I made him sound like this this mental case. And it people thought it was real. It was one of the, it was like a, an Orson Welles, you know, War of the Worlds it. thing. Oh, I love it. And the, and the L.A. Times did a big story on it, and, and the rumor went around that Wally George had thrown me through the plate glass window, which was uh, not if, true. If there's, still an air, if there's an air check of that anywhere, I would love to hear that. My goodness. One uh, of the problems people, is there are no air checks of, of yeah. 90% of, of radio and television were, were lost because we didn't have a clue that there was a long tail and uh, on demand and podcasts and replays available. We used to think it goes out into the air and that's the end of it. Right. And if there was any kind of a, of a, a, a memorialized recording of a show, television or radio, the tape, the videotape or the audio tape was considered more valuable to be reused than the actual um, documentation of these art forms. I mean, do you realize how many Tonight Shows with Johnny Carson oh. are gone forever? Well, um, and uh, uh, my friend Joe Franklin uh, did, hosted some of the most iconic performers in history on his Channel 9 show in New York back in the day. And mm -hmm. those shows were all just taped over. And yes. uh, it's really it's an incredible thing to think about. There was no thought of archiving uh, any of this stuff. It's uh, so interesting. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with Michael Harrison. He is, uh, in addition to being a, a tr tremendous on-air talent in his own right, we'll talk about his podcast in a minute, how you could hear it. He's also the founder and publisher of Talkers, which you can check out at talkers.com. You can also subscribe to the daily uh, email that everybody that works in radio gets. And if you want to be in the know, you should subscribe as well. You know, it's funny that thing that I've noticed with radio stations around the country is there seems to be an increasing migration to treating these these platforms as multimedia content providers, not necessarily radio stations, not just the big talk stations, but the big music stations as well. They view themselves as a one-stop shop for podcasts, for video, for radio, whatever the case may be. Do you think in the era that we're living in now, keeping in mind what, everything you said about the merging between television, motion pictures, radio, etc., do you think radio is still relevant as radio these days? Yes, I still think it's relevant. I don't know if it'll still be relevant in 20 years. Um, I don't know, you know, because the human the human species, our brains are be, our nervous systems, our brains are being re rewired by the way we communicate. So we may find radio someday as quaint as the idea of vaudeville uh, today. But no, I still think for at least 20 years and maybe more, the idea of radio, or you could um, objectively describe it as audio media. 
but radio is magical audio media. <laughs> radio means a show. It means it, it, it has a cultural connotation that, like, like Louis Armstrong said, if you don't know what jazz is, I can't explain it to you. If a person doesn't know what I mean by radio, what you mean by radio in a cultural context, it's very hard to describe to someone who says, well, it's all audio to us. Well, it is audio, but radio is an art form, is an audio art form. Um, I do, I do believe it's going to be around for a while because when done properly, it's just so damn good. And 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 as long as there are guys, the young guys like you still doing it, and um, uh, radio owners like John Katsimatidis, who's revived WABC, um, it's going to be around for a long time. In the bigger picture, though, I don't know. I mean, things change. The you know, uh, neuroplasticity of the human brain. Sure. We we change, and I don't know what our grandchildren are going to be like. Uh, so. But for now, radio is is here to stay for the foreseeable future. You know, it's funny. Twenty years ago, if you would have said that um, vinyl records would be having their biggest year in decades in 2022, I think folks would have said you were you were smoking something. And I, I'm wondering, you know, we've seen a comeback driven primarily by young people of all sorts of older technology. We're seeing a comeback of vinyl records. We're seeing a comeback of film cameras. We're seeing in some quarters a comeback of uh, old-fashioned manual typewriters and there there are some media like theater which have never seemed to go out of style which uh, just keep to seem to keep getting better and better why do you think radio hasn't enjoyed that same degree and i'm when i say radio i mean good old-fashioned over the air uh tuning a radio radio battling through the static to discover a station that you never knew existed that you get clearly one night dependent upon the weather why do do you think old-fashioned radio technology hasn't enjoyed the same sort of Gen Z neo-nostalgia that some of those other media that I referenced have? What a great question. And uh, maybe because radio still is current and it's tech, it, it, it's like saying, how come old time cars, you know, are not big on the road? Well, they are, but they have special license plates called antique and people don't take them out for more than a mile mm. a month. Um, I, I, I think I, I see records as tchotchkes. I, I, I see, you know, they're sort of like hurricane lamps. A lot of people have them in their home and they light candles and they, you know, they do things like that. But we're not going back to the candle. We're not going back to the hurricane lamp. Um, radio is is more of a frontline technology and it's changed over the years um, gradually. It didn't just go from static EAM to, you know, what we have today, uh, which is hard to describe, uh, overnight. It went through the AM to FM migration. It went from the mono to the um, hi-fi. A lot of people may not remember the difference mm. between hi-fi and regular monaural. And then it went to stereo. And, um, you know, now we have head buds, uh, earbuds, rather. Uh, so I, I think there's a different – I think that radio is a different animal than – uh, tchotchke <laughs> vinyl records. In other words, I understand that vinyl is back and that a lot of the younger generation are getting a kick out of these things, but I don't see these things making a comeback and being current again, whereas radio is still fighting to be current. Um, I don't know. Beyond that, I mean, how interesting is it listening to a staticky old radio? 
uh, you know, do you do you want to listen to a to static on a radio on a radio? I'll tell you, I, I, I find the most of the listening that I do, even though I think I have thirteen or fourteen radios in my home, I, I find most of the listening that I do is still via smart speaker or app. But uh, when I take in a car or take a car into work or something that doesn't have my presets on it, there's still something I love about pressing that scan button and discovering a voice uh, that I didn't expect to discover because it's coming in from somewhere like Buffalo or Canada or wherever else. I got a letter recently from somebody in England that said they happened to hear me on 770 over the air in England on one particular night. And they actually sent me a recording and it was actually much more, much more audible than I ever dreamed we could be across the pond. So I, uh, I totally get uh, both both tr- uh, schools of thought. Now, uh, one of the things Talkers does do is it, it publishes the Talkers 100. I was very humbled to be included for the first time last year. No doubt about. I, I, I think the fact that when he was alive, the top dog in the field of talk radio was Rush Limbaugh, and when he was on terrestrial radio and had the ratings that people could only dream of, I think uh, a strong case could be made that uh, the top dog was Howard Stern. Um, These days, if people are looking for this generation of talk radios, Michael Jordan or Mickey Mantle, who is it? Who's the top dog when it comes to talk radio these days? Well, I mean, our heavy hundred, uh, number one, at least the last one, the new one's coming out in a couple of weeks, and I really am not at liberty to say who it'll be, but the number one host is um, one that may not necessarily be uh, where you are, is Sean Hannity, and um, he's on uh, a tremendous number of stations, and uh, people like Dave Ramsey, Mark uh, Levin, Glenn Beck is still popular, um, and, and then you have a whole bunch of new ones that are vying for that, you know, coveted noon to three. Eastern time slot that Rush Limbaugh had, you know, to be the new, the new Rush Limbaugh. And there's a list of them. Um, there, there is. We're sort of like in the realm of rock and roll after Buddy Holly died. Before and Elvis Presley went off to the to the to the army. Buddy Holly died. Um, Jerry Lee Lewis was 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 persona non grata because he married his. His cousin, who was an underage <laughs> child, um, little Richard went off and, and became a priest. Bill Haley and the Comets ran out of material, and we had Frankie <laughs> Avalon, and we had uh, Fabian, and, and you know Bobby Rydell. And then all of a sudden, the Beatles came, and a whole new thing happened. We're sort of in a period right now where there is no Howard Stern or Rush Limbaugh, which is not to take away from all the wonderful talent that's out there, but. Talent, trends go where the talent lies, and talent is never a given. It's never a given that there's going to be a Tiger Woods in, in, in golf. Um, it, it's, there's no given that there's going to be a Mike Tyson in, in, in boxing. Sure. Um, and, and so we, I don't think there's anybody out there right now that we could say is the 800-pound gorilla, which in many ways is good because it gives new guys uh, the opportunity. I personally think you're heading toward um, uh, heights that I cannot even begin to imagine. Right. But I mean, anything could happen. You're only human and, and – and, you know, the human events go in ways we don't always know. But well, that's what I think. Thank you. Uh, one question that I get asked on literally a daily basis by friends, by colleagues, by listeners, I'm sure you've gotten asked it many more times uh, than I have over the years, is why is talk radio 
primarily conservative. There are a lot of great progressive uh, talk show hosts, folks like Tom Hartman uh, these days, folks like, uh, you know, on a lot of Pacifica stations, my friend Ralph Nader. Uh, formerly, you had folks like uh, Lynn Samuels and the great Alan Combs, who I know was a, a good friend of both of ours and a collaborator of yours. Why is talk radio, though, why does it seem that the folks that have had the monstrous biggest success tend to be on the right side of the political spectrum? Well, it goes back to a comment I made earlier. The trends go where the talent lies. Um, you, British rock and roll became big because the Beatles were great. It wasn't that there was suddenly a need to even things out between American and British rock. Um, the trends go where the talent lies, and there have been some tremendous talent that came out of the conservative end of talk radio. Um, but I would actually say that conservative talk radio is gigantic, and not that talk radio is primarily conservative, because I view talk radio from a bigger picture. I view talk radio as, as people on FM stations, on music stations that do primarily talk shows in the morning and do talk about so sociology and celebrity gossip. I look at public radio as being talk radio, and that's primarily moderate to liberal. Um, so I, I, I and there's, there's also African-American community talk radio, which tends to uh, support Democratic Party politics. So, yes, the big stars, the big buzz, the big influence has been conservative, but there's more to it. One of the reasons, Frank, the conservative talk radio caught on so well is that people who want to listen to conservative opinions on the radio tend to be um, more of a similar mind than the kind of people that might vote for the Democratic Party or consider themselves liberal. It's, in other words, from a standpoint of audience targeting, which is a whole broadcast theory here, um, broadcasting theory, uh, from a standpoint of targeting audiences, it's an easier target to focus on and get in the crosshairs. And so much of today's media is targeting audiences and playing to their already existing beliefs and um, ideology, as opposed to going out there for a mass audience and collecting whatever it is that comes your way. And, um, and that's been an, also a major paradigm change in the, uh, in the radio and television uh, businesses. So um, those are the two reasons. The, the, the other reasons include the fact that when um, uh, the Fairness Doctrine was repealed back in the late 80s and Rush Limbaugh came on the scene and, and talk radio became very opinionated, the Republican Party and the conservatives identified more with the populism, the populism that was very popular in radio back in the late 80s and early 90s. And they made relationships and they cultivated relationships with the um, emerging talk show hosts, whereas the Democrats, with a few exceptions in politics, didn't cultivate that type of relationship. And that also set things in a motion um, that um, uh, wound up where we're at today. And the final reason is there hasn't been a lot of conservative media in American popular culture. Hollywood is is moderate to liberal. Uh, newspapers were mostly moderate to liberal. Movies, well, that's Hollywood. And radio and television, the big ABC, NBC, CBS, you know, Alphabet Soup networks tended to be moderate to liberal. And people who were card-carrying conservatives for decade after decade were marginalized, called right-wing lunatics, wackos, extremists, John Birchers, 
Ku Klux Klan. I mean, the, the, the worst type of um, uh, descriptions. And as a result, they felt marginalized, disenfranchised, alienated. And when talk show hosts on radio started to address them specifically and give them respect, well, they galvanized around it. And um, conservative talk radio had a, had a, a real running start on other forms of talk radio. And that's a strength that exists to this very day. One of the things I've noticed these days is that the same role that talk radio might have played years ago in providing an alternative to the, um, you know, the left of center mainstream on the news. It seems like if there's news that's being censored, whether it's about uh, covid origin theories, whether it's about uh, election fraud theories, whether it's about Hunter Biden and you can't uh, and his laptop, you can't put that out on Twitter. You can't put it out on Facebook without uh, being flagged or getting a strike against you. Radio is still one of the few places that allows discussions about those types of issues to take place. Do you find that talk radio in the 21st century still plays that pivotal role in terms of being an alternative to the things that you can't say elsewhere? Yes, indeed. And I think it's a key part of its uh, longevity and its um, its continued pertinence. One of the reasons that um, social media has leaned toward the left and been particularly critical of the right in terms of its bias and its censorship, which, by the way, it has the right to do uh, because only the government um, were only protected from uh, for free speech by um, in, you know intrusion of the government. Private industry can do whatever it wants. One of the reasons that we're seeing a, um, a left bias in social media is because big tech Silicon Valley is primarily run by left leaning um, ideologues, um, whereas radio is run by corporate America or a remaining number of individual families or smaller groups that tend to be not necessarily conservative, but tend to be sensitive to existing markets and playing to them and not letting bias get in the way. Rush Limbaugh rose to popularity uh, at a time when most radio stations before the consolidation and it became so corporatized, Rush Limbaugh gained his five, six hundred affiliates primarily on stations owned by liberals. Uh, many of them sold since then, and uh, they're now corporate. But these liberals would tell me during that time that, uh, hey, I, I don't agree with the thing the guy says, but he's getting us ratings and he's making us money. So God bless him. <laughs> that, that You don't see that as much, I, I guess, today. Uh. It's true. It's true. Um, you know, I um, I see that. Uh, by the way, I could talk with you about radio all day long. I remember about 20 years ago or so, maybe a little more. You were doing appearances all over the country as the lone liberal, almost as a lone ranger style, um, mm -hmm. you know, left of center talk show host. Um, what was the modus operandi? What was the motivation for the creation of the lone liberal character? If in fact it was you, I know his true identity was never unmasked. And uh, what happened to the lone liberal? It was me. Um, I did it for pure um, entertainment and um, and fun. Uh, as a matter of fact, when the lone liberal appeared places, he wore a mask and a hat and, 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 and he, he dressed as a workman. He had the flashlight of truth, the lunchbox of labor. And it basically was a spoof on left-right politics. It, it was not 
a, uh, a mission of politics. It was a mission of radio entertainment. And it was around the time when we started to notice that um, conservatives are dominating talk radio and there aren't that many liberals in news talk radio. So I figured I'd have some fun with this. And um, I created a character that it wasn't just liberal politics. Sometimes he was very, very conservative. It was my way of playing with a lot of the standardized inside the box thinking that goes on into today's political talk radio. The reason I stopped was two reasons. One, he became so popular, the lone liberal, and I was asked to be on so many shows that I didn't have the time to do my real job, which was publishing talkers and my other stuff. And the other reason was that a lot of people took me seriously when they found out I was the lone liberal and said I and, and categorized me as a liberal. Aha, we know you're a liberal. And one of the keys to my career has been never to allow myself to be pigeonholed. So I just ah. stopped it cold. I didn't I, I have no desire to be a liberal or a conservative or to be political. I viewed it as a showman having fun. And, and it was very, very successful. As I said, I had to stop because I had to make a career choice. Am I going to be the lone liberal the rest of my life and, and be misunderstood or um, or or what? So um, thank you for remembering, because I thought it was one of the most fun things I've ever done. Oh, I loved it. I loved it as a listener. It was uh, it was terrific. Now, uh, these days, I still subscribe to podcasts, uh, the Michael Harrison rap and uh, the Michael Harrison interview podcast. I've been fortunate enough to be a guest on both. You also have a lot of fascinating people on both of those. Um, why do a podcast? As you said, and as the listeners can tell, it's not as if you don't have enough to do putting together live events, organizing uh, podcasts on talkers.com, um, covering radio, doing appearances on shows like this one. Why go that extra mile to do a podcast, actually multiple podcasts as well. Because I can. <laughs> I mean, why not? I love this stuff. Uh, and as long as I'm able to do it and there's a, a market for it, why not? A more specific reason, the Michael Harrison rap is a radio show that is also a podcast, but it's also on the radio and around 70 or 80 stations around the country and the UK. So it gives me a chance to do a one hour radio show with a lot of short form interviews, commentaries and uh, uh, short discussions. The Michael Harrison interview gives me a chance to do long form interviews that, you know, maybe on a show like yours that's on, you know, the glorious after midnight time where you could do an interview like this and get into depth. Right. But for the most part, radio shows, you know, you're fighting the clock to work yeah. your way to the break. So I, I love the long form interviews as well. And that's why I do it. I love it. I'm a big fan. I encourage people to subscribe. Uh, you can search it on whatever podcast platform you have. Just search Michael Harrison. Both come up. Or you can just go to talkers.com. There are some links to it up there. Michael, uh, we've talked a while, but it never seems like there's enough time whenever to wear together. I look forward to our next conversation. Thank you, Frank. It's been a pleasure to be with you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.